This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. All right. Well, hey, we're going to go ahead and get going with the second to the last uh, Gospel Center Parenting class. And so I'm excited to, to dive into it. My wife and I have taught one before, which we really enjoyed. And so we're looking forward to today. My name is Matt. This is my wife, Emily. You want to introduce ourselves or our yeah. kids? Or? Um, yeah. We brought a picture of them. Aren't they so fun? I'm so like, anytime cute. that you can like bring a picture where your kids all look like they're happy, I'm like, yeah, I'll put that one up there. So that's our crew. Ethan is two and a half all the way up to Madison. She is 10. So that's you our life. You will notice that his tongue is sticking out. And when my wife takes pictures, it's my job. So let's just be real. Like- Family photography is a little stressful when you're the mom and the photographer at the same time. <laughs> so, so we're like, you know, this isn't real. This isn't real, peeps. So... so my job is to, like, either get the kids to Matt's look job. good or to behave Dean or to really smile. Good. And my kids have this really, two of them have this really cheesy smile. Like, it's like, like, no, like, don't do that. Just smile normally. And so, anyways. So, he's doing cartwheels behind the camera. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, Ethan, put your tongue in your mouth. Yeah, he's just done by this morning. He's just, put your tongue in your mouth. So we're going to show you the progression. This is Ethan. He is like, he doesn't usually cry. He like disappears from the world. Like he's like, the two-year-old's room is like, he's so easy. He just stands in the middle of the room and looks at the floor. I'm like, that's because he's scared to death, you know? And so he's like going into like disappear mode right now. Now he's like, okay, sister. And this is reality. So we just wanted to give you reality of the hope for life with that one. That is awesome. And I was like, we should have put the next one up there because the next one is like Matt, like squatting down, like post-parenting class, like opportunity has arisen and I'm parenting now. Well, I'm frustrated on the inside. So anyways, we uh, want to begin today. um, Here's the thing. Like if we could just say anything, we want to say thank you for being parents. Thank you for being committed to coming and keep up the fight. (laughs) Whether you have kids on the way whether you have one child, whether you have a bunch of kids, whether you're a single parent, whatever that looks like, the fight, the long-term effort is worth it. And so this isn't necessarily an end-all, be-all, but we do have a couple of Starbucks gift cards in my desk that were kind of like just burning a hole there. And here's the thing, two things I'll say about this. I don't know if this will happen, but if you ever like do an eval of this class, just remember the generosity of Matt and Emily Hofer. The Hoferts yeah. gave no, no, you the no. gift card. But, but in all honesty, these are $5, okay? <laughs> I'm like, do we so, get two yeah. or what do we do? So here? if you and your spouse get one of these, you're going to have to share something, all right? So we're not that generous. Or you can but, win two. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't no, have enough. They can't no. win two. Yep. Can't all right. So here's what I want to do. Who has in this room, I'm, I'm going to kind of like ban staff from, from winning. <sighs> Who has the oldest kid in the room like how many of you have kids that are 10 and over the oldest kid in, nice ooh, so it's chill i bet it's chill jill yes nice. all right so and two she wins oldest gap. and gap there you go here i'll be the runner all right perfect all right next one is who has the youngest child huh maybe <laughs> three and a half months can anyone beat that Yes, yes. All right, you get a gift card. Emily, Emily, you can come up and get it, or Emily can take it to you. All right, next is uh, who has the most kids? How many of you have three or more? Nice. Does anyone else have three or more kids? Four? Nice. Yeah, nailing it. There you go. 
Next is, I know some of you do not yet have kids, but you're kind of taking this, this as kind of like, okay, this is how I want my parenting to go when, when they arrive, right? Which is great, which is very, very cool. So who has the closest due date to today? Those of you who are, uh-huh, yeah. What's, what's your guys' due date? Oh, there you go. And my last one is, do we have any single parents in the room this morning? A couple of you. So I'm going to just give you, I'm, I'm going to give you <laughs> two gift cards, one gift card each. Awesome, guys. Well, hey, we're excited to dive into today. But before we, we do that, I do really want to uh, do a little bit of just reflection. And so I think next week's content is very, very good. There's a lot of stuff in there. I think it has a lot of implications. And if you notice, this chapter wasn't exactly the longest one. So we're going to dive into it. We're going to spend some time on it, obviously. But I do want to just have you guys start at your tables and uh, answer two questions, all right? And so the reality is, is we do when we act based off of what we believe. Okay, so I believe that this chair will hold me up, therefore I sat in it this morning. Right, and, and this book is trying to reorient the way we think about parenting and our role as parents, which will influence then our actions as parents, right? And so I wanna give you a little bit of time just to think to yourselves and then share at your tables. In regards to parenting, what's one way your thinking has changed? How has what you believed about parenting or your role changed? One thing. And the second thing is how has that influenced your parenting? What action or actions have come out of that change of thought? So I'm going to make your mind work a little bit. If you want to spend a minute or so thinking to yourself, that's fine. But at some point, come together as your table and share your answer to these two questions. Give you some time to do that, and then we'll bring it back together. All right, so we'll uh, kind of bring it back to the larger group, and we'll have more time to share at tables and discuss. And here's the thing. Um, I hope and we hope that as you read something, as you learn something, as you discuss these things, as your thinking in some way shifts, that your actions follow. Knowing full well that after an eight-week class, it isn't like you're magically the best parent ever. I mean, parenting is a lifelong thing, and you're always going to fail Right, But with God's help and his leading and your reliance and rest in him over time, your parenting can improve. And so it's awesome just to hear stories of, here's how my thinking has changed, and here's an action that has followed. I, I'll share really quick. Um, I tend to be just somebody who's like, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, checklist, checklist. All right, so, so I'm trying to get from one thing to another as fast as I can, typically, right, so I can get more stuff done. And... Quickly parenting, especially in high-tension situations, doesn't typically work well. So I think my biggest mind shift or shift in thinking has been don't see tension or conflict or disobedience or whatever you want to call it as an inconvenience or a burden to you, but see it as an opportunity to shepherd and care for your kid. Like That's probably the thing that sticks out the most in my mind. And so that has influenced me by a handful of different things, but... In high tense moments, when I want to really quickly resolve the issue by just pushing it aside or getting my kid to be quiet or obey in some way, I've found myself taking more time to explain, to show grace, to, sh to show mercy to my kids. And I think that's probably been the thing that has changed in me the most recently. So you got a fun story. 
Yeah, am I sharing these with friends or me? You're sharing the rock wall story. <clears throat> the rock wall story. I literally was in the middle of this. I'm like, I'm totally going to be talking about this on Sunday morning. I literally had my most embarrassing parenting moment happen. What day was it? Friday? Maybe Friday. Friday. I was like, this is my, I've had so many years of parenting and I'm literally in my most embarrassing moment. My two and a half year old climbs the rock wall at our rec area at the W. Tries to climb. He climbed for the first time all the way to the top. He's like, I wing the bell, mommy. You ring the bell at the top. And he's like, whack. So the gal that was helping him was um, super kind and generous. And every time he'd let go, she'd kind of boost him up a little bit. Because he's literally not big enough to like reach the next rock, you know. Which I'm like, this is all good and everything. And he got to the top. But I'm like, I know the next time someone that's not boosting him, he's not going to be able to do it. So, of course, we go Friday. And he's like, ah, wing the bell, mommy. I'm like, okay, buddy, go for it. Good job. Gets halfway up. And he's like, he's the guy doesn't care. He's helping the, you know, talking to the girl that he's working with and not giving him any help. And I'm like, buddy, he's tried for a long time. And I'm like, buddy, you get one more time to swing. Then we're going to let you down. And then you can try again. Because I knew he was going to be sad that he, because he really wanted to wing the bell. And so I'm like, all right, let him down. You know, he coming down and he just starts losing it. And I'm like, oh, buddy, you know, so he's screaming, not letting the guy take his thing off. So he finally gets it off. And this isn't the most embarrassing part. But I'm like talking through, like, if you don't stop, you need to stop crying. You need to get yourself together or you can't climb the wall anymore. Um, you can't climb the rock all while you're crying. There's everybody else here who's trying to work out. I'm going to have to take you out if you, because he gets himself together because he really wants to climb this rock wall. So he gets on the wall again. Second time up, he's in the same spot. He can't get over this bump, and the guy is just letting him kind of hang there for a while, and he's up there. Oh, my goodness. And I'm standing at the bottom. I'm like, good job, buddy. Doing great. Try to grab that one with your other hand. You can do it, bud. And he looks down. He's like, starts adjusting his harness. And I'm like, maybe it's just a little too tight. And so he's like, doing again. And I look at him, and he caught eyes with me. I'm like, do you have to go potty? And he looks down at me, and he's like, My kid peed his pants while suspended in the air, 30 feet, and it is draining down like a waterfall right in front of me. And I'm like, oh my word, my kids, nobody knew what to do. We were all just frozen. It took like 30 seconds to even realize what was happening. I'm like, he's peeing his pants. You need to let him down. So he lets him down, and I'm like in the moment... And I'm like, I don't know if this is parenting class or just, I mean, we've parented five kids. We've parented for a while now. But in my mind, I'm like, he didn't mean to pee his pants. Like, he was an accident. He hasn't peed his pants for months. And so it's not a direct disobedience thing. But in my, like, I'm so embarrassed. Like, what in the world am I supposed to do? There's a puddle of pee. There's college boys trying to stand there. I'm like, do you want me to, like, go get a rag and clean this? Like, what do I, what do you want me to do here? And he's like, I'll go get something. And his harness has pee on it. And I'm like, what do you want me to do with the harness? But just in my mind, thinking... This was an offense against me. I know I'm embarrassed, but like I'm not going to make him feel worse than he already feels. Um, but then thinking too later, so I went and changed him or whatever, and had to come back and you know back to the rock wall because all my kids are still there. And uh, you know there was a natural consequence. You can't climb the rock wall, buddy, when you pee on the rock wall. Like that was our conversation. Like you you're done for the day. Like you peed on the rock. He's like I peed on the rock wall, mom. You know, and so. Just the ability to, like, not get frustrated, you know, in an embarrassing moment and just realizing it's not a direct disobedience. Like the first time, it was a direct disobedience. You're throwing a fit because mommy told you to get down. Like, there needed to be a consequence if you didn't cover that up but, or get that together. But just this moment, moment was, you know, it's not an offense against mom. So 
I don't know. That was my moment of Be like more graceful. But it was literally that that is my most embarrassing parenting moment ever. It was raining down like a waterfall <laughs> on the ground. They cleaned it up. My kid, other kid was standing on top of it, ready to climb when I came out. So it must not have been too big of a deal. Nice. Awesome. Uh, we've, I think you sent out a couple just questions. I did. Just question a couple. Yes. Questions. You might share one or two. I am so humble in the fact of like, some reason we're teaching this, but like it does not make us any different than anybody else that's out there. So I just, we've heard some fun stories at the tables of how parenting has like literally changed a lot of people want like a how-to, like how do I potty train? How do I get my kid to sleep? How do I get them to obey? And it's like this book didn't talk a ton about the details. Um, it just gave you a different framework of like how to parent. And um, I just heard some fun stories of people just like changing gears because of, you know, how their thinking had changed. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to ask a couple other people, like what, how has your parenting changed? So you want me to read those? Um, sweet Christina over here. I was like, cause the reason I asked was Jordan, like the second week you're like, I'm changing where I'm serving. Do you remember that? Which you didn't end up doing, which is another story, but <laughs> that's awesome. Which he's really good where he's at, but just thinking like it's actually changing people's actions, which is super fun. So I asked these guys to share. I think Christina probably wrote this. Did you write it together? Awesome. Okay, so this is uh, their main takeaway. Do you good with me reading this up in front of everybody? Going through this parenting class has been a challenge, a good, healthy challenge, that is. We enjoyed hearing the stories from other parents about the day-to-day -day struggles they are going through and appreciated hearing about some other failed attempts to try to help their children learn how to be humble, fruitful, and kind. We were challenged to take on parenting with a different lens. This idea of utilizing Utilizing the teachable moments was impacting. Now we see it as, yes, another time to walk down the hall or have the same issue to discuss, but we also see it as an opportunity to point our kids to Christ. All of the things we are expecting from them, gentleness, kindness, the rest of the fruits of the Spirit, they need to be taught and given opportunities to practice. Specifically, going through this class has changed our expectations. We are sinners and our kids are sinners. Our kids will continually sin and it gives us numerous opportunities to point them back to Jesus. Rather than just a punishment or discipline, we are talking about the impact of their actions. Disobedience isn't an interruption, it is an opportunity. So I thought it was pretty sweet. We talked a little about the, about the expectations, just changing your expectations of what your kids are going to do that day. You know, it's such a big thing. All right, this next one is from um, a sweet mama who's not here today, but I'm going to read hers anyway. She says, I've really enjoyed this class and book. I never really understood my role to be God's ambassador and how much I was missing the mark on showing my children mercy and grace. The tools and information have helped me to, be to parent better, but this whole journey has been God's way of breaking me of my pride and selfishness and drawing me closer to him. I have finally figured out that God couldn't that God didn't give me children to just produce a next generation and continuation of our family. Rather, they have been given to me and to us as a way to understand just how much I need to take for granted, just how much I need and take for granted God's mercy and grace in my own life. A few weeks ago, my boys, 11 and 7, were being normal and fighting in the backseat of the van. Before this class, I would have reacted out of emotion and felt as though they were sinning against me and inconveniencing my life and my trip in the car. But now I can see things differently. And I know it's not inconvenient to take the time to help them to see their sin and point them towards Jesus. I'm still not very good at it, and it will take practice. But the environment in our home regarding our honor and discipline has changed. Glory be to God. Awesome. Those are pretty sweet. Cool. Well, guys, we're going to transition, and really we want to just share some of these stories because I think we're all in the same boat where 
we have our good times where it's like, oh, he climbed the rock wall. What a champ. And then the next time he's peeing off of it. Or, I mean, maybe even a little bit more seriously where it's like my nine-year-old or my 10-year-old or some of you who have older kids, like there's direct disobedience happening. And I thought we just talked about this yesterday and the day before and the day before. If this is this continual daily grind of I know what I want to have my kids end up like long term. I know I want to keep fighting, yet in the moment, it's not easy. And in the moment, it's frustrating. In the moment, it can get emotional. So we want to just share these stories to say it's awesome to see a lot of you kind of reframing the way you think and that leading to different actions. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to stay in the fight. It's a grind, but it is worth it as God's ambassadors to your kids. Cool? Awesome. We're going to transition into uh, the content for this week. It's inability. Before we get into that, I'm just going to pray for us this morning. Um, God, it is humbling to think that you have entrusted us with uh, little people, and you have given us the opportunity and responsibility to be your ambassadors to them. And we get a opportunity every single day, every single hour, over the course of many years, to reflect your grace and your mercy and your word and your truth to them. And sometimes that's easier than others, and other times it just gets frustrating and emotional. But we pray that you would keep empowering us by your spirit um, to be Christ's ambassadors to our kids, Lord. And we also find this tension, at least I do, where we want to work hard, we want to push forward, we want to stay in the fight. Yet we also understand that ultimately we do not have any control or any power to change our kids' hearts. And that's an interesting place to be where we want to continue to parent our kids well, to love them, to show them grace, to create environments that foster those kind of things. Yet at the end of the day, we don't have any power to change them. And so we are reliant upon you for that, God. We pray for our kids. We pray um, that you would draw every single one of them to yourself, um, that they would accept the gospel, that they would believe that, that they would make that the center of their lives, Lord. And so we just give this time to you and we give our kids to you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so this one is called inability, and the principle really is recognizing what you are unable to do is essential to good parenting. And really, the idea is you cannot change the hearts of your kids. As much as you want to, ultimately that is not your responsibility because you cannot do that. So the reality is that we are also Christ's ambassadors to our kids, and so there's this weird tension of, you do want to be a good parent and you do want to continually put the gospel on display, yet ultimately that's in the, the Lord's hands as far as heart change goes. And so if we can't change our heart, or if we can't change our hearts, the question becomes, well, who, who does? And I think the rhetorical answer there was, I mean, God changes hearts. And I'm just going to read a couple passages um, that point to this. The first one's Old Testament. Uh, God's uh, talking to his people, really quick passage, but I think it's pretty cool. And it's from Ezekiel 36. And it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So, so God's saying he is the one who is going to transform the hearts of the Israelites. He is the one who will change their hearts from a heart of stone, right, to not. And, and so God changes hearts. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just highlight a few key things in here. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once previously lived according to the ways of the world. So, so you were dead, right? 
We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others, speaking of unbelievers, were also. Then there's this big but, right? But God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive, so death to life, with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. Skip a few verses. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. So Old Testament example, New Testament example, we could point to a bunch of others, but God is clearly the one who changes hearts. And as parents, that can be a frustrating thing because we want so much to be able to change our kids, not just behavior, but hearts. I think everyone is in this room this morning because ultimately you want your kid to not just simply obey a set of commands or to make you look good, but ultimately be a follower of Christ and live his or her life for him. I know a lot of you desire that, yet we can kind of feel helpless at times because we don't ultimately control that. And so we can't change hearts, yet we often try to change our kids. And it's just been so interesting. Um, I have, I don't know, probably from like age 20 until age 31 or 2, spent time either doing high school or college ministry. And I cannot tell you the hundreds of kids who have just this whacked out, screwed up family background who ultimately, ultimately came to know Jesus. And it's like, praise God. It wasn't because their parents did anything. But then I also know parents who I would say, these are godly, God-fearing, God-honoring parents. Um, one of the most godly guys that I know that I've ever been around, who you get around me, you're just like, oh my God, like, I want to be around you all the time. One of his kids doesn't follow Jesus. And so that's humbling to think that we surrender our control because we have none. And we ultimately trust and rest in God to draw our kids close to him. So all that to say, when we try to change our kids, we tend to rely on three methods. And I think this book very clearly pointed them out. The first one is fear. And I think this is true for a lot of you who have younger kids. We believe that we can issue a big enough threat because of our power, because of our size, because of how loud we can yell, because of the fact that I'm kind of in control because you're three. I mean, whatever the case is, that that fear can ultimately change our kids. And we act out in that a lot of times. And the flip side of that, and the reality of that is the absence of grace, there's going to come a point where our kids will no longer fear us. I don't fear my parents anymore because I'm bigger than both of them. I mean, I, I just don't, right? And the second one was reward. I, this is probably the one that, that I would say I use the most. And, you know, like, you want a sucker, buddy? Okay. You know, just like... Don't pee on the rock wall. Uh, but we can manipulate them to do what we want them to do by holding certain rewards in front of them. And as they get older, I think those rewards obviously change. But I see parents do this all, like th- this is a constant thing that I see all the time. Probably both in my parenting, but then just watching people. And literally you see a three and a four-year-old controlling their parents and manipulating somebody who is like five times their age, Right? <laughs> And the flip side of that is your children become negotiators, yet they have no moral guilt or they have no desire to do what is right. But they really want to try and negotiate something that benefits them. And they learn this from a very young age. The last one is shame. I think too, babe. Like I think sometimes with reward, um, you think of like a physical reward. But I think even like, I'm just thinking, 
I just hear a lot of parenting. Your kid needs to obey because you've asked them to do something. It's not like, buddy, you need to sit in your car seat so that you can buckle yourself. Like that can even be a reward. No, you need to sit in your car seat because I've asked you to sit in your car seat. You can also buckle yourself and no, you won't buckle yourself if you don't sit, you know, like, but the, the language that you use, like rewards can come in all different kinds of forms. So just thinking about parenting my own kids, I think that that has been something I've learned a lot of like, you need to sit down and put your shoe on. No, not because something will happen after that. Just because I've asked you to sit down and put your shoe on. You know, we're going to be patient. We're going to wait till you sit down and put your shoe on. You can get creative on how you actually help them follow through with that. But just thinking about rewards, not just as like suckers and candy and whatever, but just you obey because I've asked you to, not because of whatever is going to happen after that. And there's natural consequences. I'm now rambling, but um, so just thinking outside the box with rewards. Awesome. Last one is shame. Uh, trying to shame and guilt their kids into doing what's right. And, and I've seen of people, both young people, high school, college, but also people who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, whose parents did this a long time ago, who haven't yet escaped the bondage of the shame and guilt that they feel. Like, that's a crappy thing for a kid to feel, whether he's 5 or 25, right? And so this leaves a long-term negative legacy. And really, your kids ultimately get sick of getting put down, and so the relationship between you and them just continues to separate and separate and divide until you have no authority in their lives. So all this to say, uh, we can, I think, identify with these three things and say, yeah, we shouldn't do these things. But I'm just curious. I want to spend, have you spend a little bit of time at your tables, and then we're going to bring it back and kind of turn the corner here. Okay, if this is what we shouldn't do, then what does it actually look like to do the right thing in these contexts? But at your tables, which of these tactics do you use most often? And how does this play out in, in your parenting? So we have fear, we have reward, and we have shame. Which one of these do you rely on most, and what does that look like? Give you about five minutes. All right, we will uh, bring it back to the front. Hey, before we move on, I mean, does, does anyone have, have any comments? Or do, I mean, do you guys all, like, can you relate to these three things, or at least one of the three? And then there's like situational, well, is this shaming or is this, is this, and I mean, it's kind of a hard tension to walk. Yeah, totally. And I think too, like, I just, we were talking and it, like, I just also don't want to lean on the end of your, your kid still needs to like obey. Like, I, like, we just want to make, like, that is a goal. That's a good goal. Um, but just your, your. I think we're talking like about ways not to do it. You just need to keep having conversations about, well, how do I do it then, you know? And we are just talking about the, I was, I threw out an example to Matt, um, something I do with my, I did it with Ethan the other day. I was like, buddy, you are freaking out. And like everybody here is trying to work out at the W and they, they're having a hard time focusing because you're screaming, buddy. And like, I kind of thought it was a good parenting move. And Matt was like, is that shaming? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm still trying to think through that. And I don't know if it is or if it isn't, but just like continuing to lean in of like, it's the verse in James 1 that says, God will give you wisdom. Like, you just have to ask for it. He'll give you wisdom without finding fault. And like, you're going to make bad parenting moves and you're going to try stuff that doesn't work and it's okay. Like, you're, you're not going to be a perfect parent and you're going to try stuff. And, but just continually to have the framework of like, is this shaming? Is this reward? Like, we talked about potty training. Like, is there an okay time to have a reward? Like, chores. Like, I, maybe, like, that, you know, God is going to give you wisdom on how to raise your kids, but just continually having the filter of, it's so good to just continually be and thinking I, I about these things. I think two things for us. One is just tone is huge, right? Because if I'm like, 
everyone around here is trying to work out and you're being the little whatever that is preventing that that's like putting a huge burden on him right like oh my gosh i just peed off the rock wall uh the other one though is is more of like buddy do you see everyone else around you do you see anyone else screaming like you're you're just helping them be aware of the situation right and i think those, those open their eyes a little things. bit because their view is only on themselves you know yeah. um and i i just so hesitate too to embarrass my kids because ethan's going to be like a 10 year old so i don't know yeah, i just so don't want to make him please don't bad. share this with your I kids know. when my kid's 10 and they're like he's doing so good in potty training just had one bad day yes you were i know yes, you were. <laughs> i don't know i'm always aware like even facebook like i just i i don't think it's my job to like put my kids out in front of the world when they don't even know i'm doing it you know i'm just a little sensitive to that so cool give me grace. And i think something else that uh we we talked about too was it's great to to help your kids see natural consequences to things I mean, that, that's, that's good. Or natural rewards, too. Yes, or, or like, yes, natural rewards or natural consequences, good and bad. But when you start manipulating it, and it's like, well, if you, and if you don't, and then all, oh, and it's like, then they start becoming little expert negotiators at three, four, and five, and before you know it, they're outsmarting you, right? And so that's what you want to stay away from. Um, so we live in this really big tension of we can't change hearts, but we should do whatever we can to provide an environment long-term that is conducive to heart change. Right, so you can't create the change that happens in your kid's heart, but you can do things and say things and behave in a way that doesn't cause it, but can help facilitate it, right? Or continually point your kids to God and his word and the gospel. So the end goal of, of this chapter is not, hey, you can't control what your kids do as far as heart change, just don't do anything, right? Just forget your parenting roles altogether. Like that, that's not what we're trying to do. Um, I love this quote on the bottom of page 61. I'm going to turn to it here really quick and read it to you. If you have your books, you want to follow along, feel free. Bottom of 61, top of 62 says, now here's the point. If as a parent, you think that you have power that you don't have, you will do things that you should not do and you will fail to do the things that you were vital to do. When you think your job is to change your child and you've been given the power to do it, your parenting will tend to be demanding, aggressive, threatening, and focus on rules and punishments. In this kind of parenting, you are working to make your children into something rather than working to help them see something and seek something. It's all about you and your children rather than you being an agent of what only God can do in your children. Skipping a little bit, says, that process is profoundly different than working to be a useful tool in the hands of a glorious God of transforming grace, who alone is your hope and the hope of your children. Okay, so I want to get a little bit practical and just say how do you act or how should you act as a useful tool in the hands of a God of glorious transformation? Okay, so you shouldn't shame, you shouldn't use fear, you should not use rewards, right, manipulation, but then, okay, if that's what you shouldn't do, then what should you do? And so we're just going to kind of have a little bit of large group discussion. We're going to put some things up here on the board. And so this is kind of you helping us lead this, right? But what can you do on a regular basis to be an agent of change or be an agent that God can use to change your kids? How can you continually create an environment that points to God, that points to the gospel, that points to Christ? And I would love to have this board full of ideas.
And some of them are like, I've never thought of that before. That's awesome. That's super helpful, right? And so just start throwing some things out, right? You're saying like practical, practical in your yes, kitchen, yes. in your living room. Yep. So, what have you tried? Maybe that's yep. gone well a little yep. bit. What have you? Yeah, so how do you look for opportunities to communicate God's grace? How do you... Uh, speak in a way that shows his mercy, how do you act as an actual ambassador? It's like, let's go kind of from the thought process to now the, the practical side of things. What does this actually look like? So on, on a regular basis, how are you being this ambassador to your kids? Start throwing stuff out there. And if nobody says anything, we're going to have to retake this class, all right? Because we got time. Yeah, so even when kids are super young, helping them to see and express thanks to God for what he's provided, whether it's a meal, whether it's an opportunity, whether, yeah, that, that is awesome. So regularly thanking God out loud, basically for everything. Very good. Keep on shouting some of these things out, guys. Yeah, so if you're a big parent, which if you have young kids, you're all bigger than your kids, even if you're small, right? But just getting down on eye level and communicating with them that way and even taking that a step farther when necessary and getting down on a knee to a two or three or four-year-old and apologizing to them, like, is huge yeah. and points to your need for God's grace and asking for forgiveness as a 20, 30-plus-year-old you know, adult. Yeah. That, that leaves a lasting impression in your kids. I think that takes the fear out of it. Yep. You know, it's not I'm bigger than you. And you can lift them up and set them on a counter or just get them to the same level as you. Yep. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yes. The actual act of crying is a physical stress relief. Like that has helped me in parenting a lot because my reaction is stop crying. It's not that important, you know, but just letting them cry is like physically helping them. 
you know, I just, that has helped me in those moments sometimes. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's a great, I mean, just physically embracing your kid, even when, when they don't deserve it. I think that's, that, that is huge. What else do you guys have? Yeah. So just be being patient with your kids and not being driven by the perception of others, especially in public. I mean, that's a huge because you're at least my mind immediately goes to that. Like, what does everyone else think? You know, why is this lady looking at me like this? Well, it's because my kids are crying. Right. But just just ignoring that and blocking that out, I think is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So just generally being consistent with your kids, I think, is huge. Awesome. Yeah, so leveraging time in the car. We're at a stage now where our kids are starting to do things at different times at different places. And so one of us typically is driving one or two of them somewhere at some time to something. And so we often find ourselves with our kids going to basketball or volleyball or I'll find myself with Madison alone or, or Elliot. And those are awesome times to do everything you just said, right? Be honest, be open, ask good questions, Point to God's work in your life, in creation. Ask for forgiveness. Really, I mean, for us, it's not always the most calm in our house just because we have seven people in there. But if you can get in a car with one person like that, that works really, really well. I think it's also intimidating because you're not facing each other. I think that's why laying in bed is kind of good too sometimes because you're not, it's not so intimidating. Um, I think uh, I've thought a lot, like, I can't change my kid. Um, I can't change their heart, but I can put a lot of God's word in them. And in a dark night when they're in a bad moment, you know, some of those older kiddos, I'm just thinking about, like, they have God's word. And it's like they can't run from that. You know, that will go with them wherever they go. So that has, we've tried lots of little things as parents and the only thing that's consistent is just reading to them God's word. Um, we did a Jesus storybook Bible when they were little. I learned like God's story from beginning to end from the lens of like who Jesus is pointing back and pointing forward. By reading that Bible, I was like, my eyes were so open. It's such a great Bible. Um, my kids have gotten a little older and we've read it several times. So we um, have a different one that's a little bigger and that's been fun to go through that has you know, more details in it. So I can show you that one, but just continue reading some sort of a Bible. We tried to jump to like the real Bible and it was okay. I just, I went back to this. So no. just kind of reading your kids in that. But I just I think sharing with your kids how God's growing you and what he's showing you and how he's challenging you, I think is super helpful. I think our kids ask a ton of questions and yeah, they, they, just, they just love to hear stories, and they love to hear stories when dad makes mistakes. I mean, I smoked weed in eighth grade one time, and so they asked me about that occasionally. Now, that's on public record because it's on a podcast, but, um, but it's, it's just those things. Like, like, 
they, they just continually ask questions. And here's times in life where I've needed God's help. And here's lessons he's taught me. And here, you know I mean, all these things, like if you just open up a window to that, they will, at least the kids, at least our kids at their age that they're at now, will like curiously just draw you out and ask questions and what, and, and like be honest and yeah. be humble and dad does dumb stuff. Yeah. So if you like, was that what's like, the, yeah, what's like, the word? Yes, he does. Or was that, yeah, like we're going to transition into. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to think. Did I say that or not, Ralph? Well? No, you're Sorry. Good, you're good. <laughs> he was so stuck on the fact that you did it before you were legally like, old enough. It's like, which were like, like you're dad, never so legally like, old enough. I don't know. Yeah, it was so you did it was that the weirdest conversation. You to do that? And I was like, <laughs> it was funny. Anyways. But I think going along with that, like, you, if you can like demystify some of that stuff, um, I don't know if we handled that very well. That was not prepared. But uh, just it makes me think of swear words. You know, my five year old came down and she was saying the S H I T word. Up, her sister was up in bed and she was telling because she t- <laughs> she has like this. She cannot not tell on people. Um, and so I went up there and I was like, I just. I was like, do you, do you want to try to say it? Just try to say it. And the one kid said it, and she just was like, you know, and the other kid couldn't even say it. And I'm like, I'll say it for you. And just like, that, that's not a nice word. And why, why don't we say words like that? Well, that makes people feel kind of uncomfortable, and that's not good on your ears. That hurts people's ears, and it's not, you know, just demystifying it. Now it's not such a secret anymore, you know? So I think Paul Sabino taught me that. He said he sat around the dinner table and just literally said every single swear word that he could think of to his kids. And I'm like, that's a really great parenting move. And it has seemed to really be great. You know, just t- we talk about stuff. It's not a secret anymore. So how's God challenging you that turned into swearing at my kids on purpose? <laughs> Go. Thank you. Yeah, asking other godly parents who are either peers of yours or probably even better, like a step or two down the road, I think is, is a huge thing. Yeah, and I love I love this book because it does give you a framework of parenting, but it doesn't give you a lot of the how-tos. And I think that's on purpose, but I think there is a place for, how do you do this? Because you need a place to start. Like, how do you body turn? How do you help a kid sleep through the night? What do I do when my, we had an eight-year-old that was going through this real long season of not sleeping at night, and I was so frustrated, and it ended up, she was just so scared of, our, we had lost her dog. Our dog had woke up, and then we had to put him down in the middle of the day, and she was scared that she was going to wake up tomorrow with a bleeding tumor and die that, you know, like just walking, like, how do you, what do I do? You know, how do I get my kid? So some of that how-to stuff is really great one-on-one because people can give you physical ideas, you know, that you need, but you still need to lean in because your kids are your kids and God has given them to you for a reason. And, um, he will give you wisdom. He will give you what you need, but sometimes you do need, what do I do? Yeah. Well, we're going to 
transition to kind of the, the closing part. And, and really, I mean, these are all great. We could probably speak a few more practical things up here and fill this board if we had more time. But I think one of the most powerful things you can do is just acknowledge to God, like, I'm not in control and I don't have the power to change, but you do. I mean, just, just acknowledging that I think is, is a big thing. Relying on his strength, resting in him, which is the subject or the topic of next week's. So we're not going to get into that a ton. Um, but even just, just spending time in prayer. Like when we acknowledge that we ultimately can't change people and I'm crying out to you for one of my kids or all of my kids in prayer and resting in his grace and mercy and not trying to manifest something in our own power, I think is a huge thing. So what I want to do just to Can close. I add one, yeah. babe? Yeah. Because I had one more thought and I'm totally ruining your flow because we do want to pray. Um, but I was thinking a lot when, because a lot of us have little kids and just being so worried, am I doing, am I doing, am I doing right, right, right? And it's like, you, they are catching way more than you're teaching them. They're watching, watching, watching. And so just like, am I sharing the gospel where they are just standing there listening to mom do that? Like that, I think is so huge. You know, just, you know, mom, I've read this verse this morning. Let me tell you about it. Just out of the overflow of what God's teaching you. But the other piece, because sometimes I'm like, I am not painting a big enough picture of God. You know, like, I, I just, I've had that thought many times. And so it made me, um, it, I brought this book. Because I think that painting a really big picture of God as big as you can, you can obviously not do that justice. But um, these are, I just want to do a little... Um, What's this called when I do this? Promotion. A little promotion for the Candeo Library. There's a Candeo Library, and there are these um, missionary biographies down there. So some of you that have, they're written at a sixth grade reading level. Um, and so we just picked this one up, and Maddie and I, she's been reading it, and I would, it's written at a sixth grade reading level, but I'd probably read it too, because there's some hard things in there. Like I was just reading about... Um, Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary in India. And um, how did this go? There was a seven-year-old that the mom sold her seven-year-old to the temple, the Hindu temple, um, to be a temple prostitute because she needed um, favor with the Hindu gods. Like that's what happened. And so she's seven and she escapes from the Hindu temple and finds Amy Carmichael. And so just thinking about those things of like, you know, those are some big things for a seven, or for a nine-year-old to walk through. So, but like painting a big picture, like those doors were open for that little seven-year-old to find Amy and just how God used her to do that. And so, I think missionary biographies are just um, some other ways that you can just paint big pictures of who God is. I just think traveling overseas has helped me realize that God is really big. Sometimes it's hard to see that in the little world that we live in. So, awesome prayer, babe. Prayer. Well, this will lead into next week. Rest. Um, and ultimately, we have the opportunity to come before a heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us and shown us, has shown us grace and mercy like we do not deserve. And handing our kids over to him and saying, please, God, give me wisdom, give me strength to parent well. Please draw them to yourself. Please change their hearts because only you can. So I would love, we're, we're about out of time. Um, if you want to turn in either with your spouse or with a smaller group of people, I would pray for a handful of things. Pray for, for your kids. Like pray that God, if, if they're not believers, that God would change their hearts. Um, but then also pray for yourselves as parents, that he would just show you wisdom, that you would have uh, the strength to rely on his power and not your own and pray however else you feel led. But I want to end this time in prayer. So kind of get with a smaller cluster, maybe with your spouse, whatever that looks like at different tables. And then you guys are officially dismissed after you're done praying. Thanks, guys. And hey, my wife and I will stick around if you want to ask us questions too. So. <laughs>